He really is. The title of today's message is, What to Do When Life Gets Hard. Today we start a new series in the book of James, so if you have your Bibles, please turn there this morning. While you're doing that, I want to tell you about a story of a drug enforcement agent whose life got really hard really quick. A DEA officer stops at a ranch in Texas and talks with an old rancher. He tells the rancher, I need to inspect your ranch for illegally grown drugs. The rancher says, okay, but do not go in that field over there, as he points out the location. Now, the DEA officer verbally explodes, and he says, Mister, I have the authority of the federal government with me. Reaching into his rear pant pocket, he removes his badge and proudly displays it to the rancher. See this badge? This badge means I'm allowed to go wherever I wish on any land, no questions asked, or answers given. Have I made myself clear? Do you understand? The rancher nods politely and apologizes and goes about his chores. Now, a short time later, the old rancher hears loud screams and sees the DA officer running for his life, being chased by the rancher's big bull. Now, with every step, the bull's gaining ground on the officer, and it seems likely that he'll get gored before he reaches safety. So the officer is clearly terrified. Then the rancher throws down his tools, runs to the fence, and yells at the top of his lungs, Your badge! Show him your badge! (laughs) Well, the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, written in the early 40s, and I don't mean the 1940s, I mean the literal 40s. He wrote to primarily Jews who were Christians, as at that time it was so early in the spread of Christianity that it had not been widely adopted by many non-Jews, also known as Gentiles. James encouraged his readers to live consistent Christian lives in the midst of persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in the opening of this letter, he says he writes to the 12 tribes in dispersion, which is likely due to the fact that Early Christians in and around Jerusalem were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus and were being driven out of the area and were settling in farther and farther regions. James chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll go to verse 8. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith Produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Chance, will you turn this down just a bit for me? It's a little loud. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and ask for your blessing as we continue to move on in this service. Lord, we're at the part of this service where you give to us, even though you give to us a lot. And Lord, I ask that you would use me today in this message, that you would let your power be known here. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God. Amen. 
<clears throat> Today's life principle is, when life falls apart, we must have endurance and faith in seeking God's wisdom. When life falls apart, we must have endurance and faith in seeking God's wisdom. Folks, life is a roller coaster. You have good times, you have bad times. You have mountaintops and you have valleys. But what do you do when you hit a valley? Endurance, folks, is hard. Do it anyway. Endurance is hard. Do it anyway. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James opened this letter by calling himself a bondservant. Now, a bondservant is one who is literally a slave. Now, during this time, slavery was a whole lot different than it was in this country when we had it. Slavery in the New Testament time was very common, and there were rules on how a slave should be treated. And the relationship was more like what we think of in the Middle Ages between a serf and a lord. The slave would cultivate land or work in some other fashion in order to provide for their family. Kind of sounds like work. Throwing that out there. Often, but not every time, a person would sell themselves into slavery for some of money or for some other kind of gain. Now, in this situation, they would agree to work for so long a time in order to pay the master back. Now, we think of this when we think of Jacob, when he worked for Rachel for seven years to Laban. That was an agreed-upon time. Now, there were other ways to become a slave, such as your homeland being conquered, and then people being taken into captivity. But in those situations, and many times, the slave could buy their freedom. Out of the mindset of this background, of this culture, do Christians see themselves toward God. Not only that, but it's true that we are slaves of Christ, willingly. We are also members of His family, we're told. And we're also called friends of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 15-20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We were bought at a price. So what's the point here? Well, it's very simple. You don't belong to yourself. Once you've had the experience of salvation, in that moment, you were saved and your life stopped belonging to you and now belongs to Jesus Christ. You don't get to choose how you act. God has chosen for you. You don't get to choose what you do with yourself in regards to morality and what we call today character. In other words... You were bought with a price, so act like it. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Romans 12.2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. James reminded them right there in the opening verse to whom they belong. And then he gets going from what I call preaching to meddling. He gets into the nitty-gritty. This book, there will be times when we go through it, you're going to shout. And there'll be times you're going to go through it, you're going to cry. And there'll be a lot of times you're going to repent if you're sensitive to God. James 1, 2 through 3, 2 and 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You know what? God gives us a command here. It's a command. He says to count it all joy when you fall into different trials. But what does that mean? You know, trials, when we think about trials, my mind immediately goes to Judge Judy. I'm just, I'm kidding. It doesn't, but it was funny. But trials, it goes to, you know, a courtroom setting. Because my wife, bless her heart, loves to watch all these murder, mystery, true crime things. And I asked her one time why she does that. She said, don't ever make me mad. Because she could get away with it. So, (laughs) Hopefully she won't listen to this later. I know. I know I've been warned. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Does a broken water pump at your home, a businessman who ripped you off, broken down car, or a death of a loved one sound like something that you should be joyful about? No, it doesn't. And let me say something that you've never heard anyone else say about this scripture. The answer is no. It's not something I want to be joyful about. It's not something that I take pleasure in. Otherwise, I'd be a sadomasochist. That's right. I said no. So what is James talking about here? When things go wrong, they aren't fun. As a matter of fact, they upset us. He says that we can look at a problem in two different ways. Number one, we can be negative about it, which can be expressed in anger, sadness, depression, and even rage, and a number of all other emotions that you want to throw in there that are negative. And we can look at it in such a way that we know that through these circumstances, God is producing something in us. Through this hard time, there's going to be something that God wants to produce. He can add to or take something away from our lives in these times. And that's where the joy comes in. Because God is not finished with me. He's still working on me. I should have asked the kids to sing that this morning. He's still working on me. Yeah, y'all don't want to hear me sing. The situation itself doesn't bring joy. But that which God is producing in us through the situation can bring us joy. The testing of our faith produces patience, perseverance, toughness, character. Now these are all synonyms for the same word in the Greek, the same concept. Suffering in Christianity used to be almost synonymous. Did you know that? If you were a Christian, you were going to suffer. And that's just the way it was. But you knew that you knew 
that Jesus is the Savior. How can you turn your back on that? You know what? In many parts of the world, it's the same way today. Christians all around the world die every day for their beliefs. From communist Russia to the various nations of Muslim Africa, Christians are murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when you think about it, this ought to put our first world American Christian problems into perspective. And a lot of times it doesn't because we're too focused on ourselves. All this evil in the world because people don't want to be held accountable to a holy God. Christians are dying all over the world and Christians here are upset because the color of the carpet isn't the color they'd like. Christians are dying all over the world and Christians here are upset because the song that was sung isn't what they like. They want the new stuff, or they want the old stuff, or they want whatever's in between. I'm sorry you don't like my Christian rock. There's a reason we don't do that here, because most people don't like it. But when we put all of that into perspective, it kind of makes us feel a little petty. You know what else people get upset about? The pastor didn't say hi to me. Well, the pastor had something on his mind. You don't know. Somebody could have just come to his office right before service and dropped a bombshell on him about what's going on in their life. Give him some grace. Or the deacon didn't say hi to me. Did he even see you? You came in late and left early. Or because whatever, blank, you insert whatever you like in that blank. It all comes down to not having something of eternal value. It all comes down to me, 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 I, I, I. You know what that's called? That's called being a selfish baby Christian. It's called be concerned over things that have no eternal value. Hebrews 5.12 says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Meaning that, I'm going to stop right there for a second, meaning that they had meat, but it says you have come to need milk. In other words, when I left, when you were there, when, when you were following Christ, you were eating the meat of God's word, word, what happened? You're back on the milk, the pablum. For everyone, moving on, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Paul says this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Similar situation, he says, especially to the Corinthians. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where Now, how do we know when a Christian is still carnal, when a church is still carnal? He's writing to the Corinthian church, and here it goes. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Hmm. I'm not going to get a lot of shouts hallelujah on that one because we're all guilty of it in some way. 
For when one says, I am of Paul, and I am of another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? This was a split. This was a church split. Are you staying away from God's church because you're upset? Do you, did you pull back and not work in the church because someone made you mad or hurt your feelings? Well, I got news for you. The church is a hospital for sinners. The church is a hospital for sinners. You know what else? If you're staying out of church, you're in sin and you need to come to the hospital and repent. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. And I like how the New Living Translation uh, translates this, and it says, And let us not neglect our meeting together. Let, I love that. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. But encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That is a command. To not follow this command means you are in sin and you need to repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn around and go the other way. I was walking one way, but I turned around and I went the other way, 180 degrees. That means I repented. When we come to God in prayer, we don't just ask for forgiveness, but we repent. This means to stop doing the action that's prohibited or to start doing the action that was required that you weren't doing. There are four types of sin. Sins of ignorance, where you didn't know that you were sinning. Sins of commission, sins that you do because maybe that sin over, has overtaken you. We, we, we feel such pressure. And sins of omission. Things you're supposed to do, but don't. Many times in my experience, if I know that the Lord is impressing me to go read Scripture or to spend more time in prayer, because whatever, I have that on my conscience, and I don't do it, well, here comes that sins of commission, because then I get overtaken. I'm not prepared for the trial. I'm not prepared for the temptations. And then the number four sin we talked about last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but the sins that lead to death. The sins that lead to death. You know you shouldn't do a thing, or you know you should do a thing, and you choose to continue in your sin willfully. This is willful sin. Not that you fell, you made a mistake, and you need to get up again, but you willfully, knowing the consequences, say, you know what, God, you snub your nose at him, and you do it anyway. You know what that's called? That's called rebellion. Straight up rebellion. And we know that rebellion is as witchcraft. And did you know that witchcraft was so heinous in the Old Testament that it was punishable by death? The prophet Samuel told King Saul this in 1 Samuel 15, 23. The king who could have had him murdered, he come up and he said, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. The next part of our main text says to let patience have its perfect work so that you may be complete 
lacking nothing. Now, we can shortcut a situation, a circumstance, a trial, or a problem, whatever you want to call it. We can shortcut that. Did you know that? You can shortcut it. We can run the other way from it rather than endure it. You know what? That'll stop what God's trying to do in you. You'll kind of sit around and, and kind of just be like, uh, okay, and kind of just stay there, hit that plateau, and start going down. But you know what the problem with that is? Oh, you can run, but you can't hide. You can run from God, but you can't hide. If you're His, you'll just have to start over and go through it all again. I've been there in my life. It ain't fun. It's best to walk through it, deal with it, and let God be God. Especially if it's a matter of sin that, that created the circumstance to begin with. Because if you belong to Him, He will just wait, and you're going to get chastised anyway. You may as well get your whipping over with now. Get right with Him and get moving on with Him and for Him. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. Guess what? You ain't the first child he's disciplined, and you won't be the last. The following is a story about endurance that actually comes from India. One night, two frogs found themselves in a dairy, hopping, jumping around, you know, as frogs do. And they both jumped into a milk pail, and it was half full of milk. What else are you going to find in a milk pail in a dairy? After swimming around for some time, they tried to get out. But the inside of the pail was too slippery. And there was nothing on which they could rest so that they could jump out. One frog thought that it was useless trying to swim on and just gave up hope and sunk and drowned. The other carried on swimming, hoping against hope that something would turn up. He swam and he swam until he began to feel tired. But by this time, the milk, which was full of cream, had become thick. And when the frog had swum some more, the cream had been stirred so much that it became a solid lump of butter. Now on this, the frog could scramble and rest, and from it, he could easily jump out of the pail into safety. Having faith, number two, having faith can be hard. Have it anyway. Having faith can be hard. Have it anyway. James 1, chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask a God who gives all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, as we go through tough times and we're trying to be patient. We're trying to endure. James reminded us of what God has promised us and what he expects from us during that time. If any of you lacks wisdom, the first part, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given, him, given to him. You know, during times of distress, we should seek God for his guidance and his wisdom. That seems like an easy thing to do, right? Yeah. You see, the world has its, own, has its own wisdom, or what it wants to call wisdom, but it just turns out to be, as the Bible says, folly. You know what I like to say? The world has its ways of doing things that just turn out to be stupid. As a matter of fact, in I think it's the message version of the Bible, there's a verse that they translate, stupid, stupid, stupid. How long are you going to be stupid, stupid? 
I'll have to find that for you. I think you'll like it. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, someone's saying, but pastor, I've asked for God's help and it blew up anyway. Yep. Well, unfortunately, that's where the rest of this section comes into our lives. James chapter 1, verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Faith. Faith. Faith, 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 faith. You get it? Faith. Isn't that great? Faith. We're to ask in faith. Knowing that he will give you his promise. Ask for wisdom. And he will give you wisdom. A person one minute who has faith in God and the next doesn't, doesn't has a life that is full of double-mindedness. You ever seen someone on Facebook or maybe in real life or in a social media platform, they talk about their love of God and how they trust God and, and they put all these wonderful little scriptures up there and they claim to be a Christian and then a few posts down they talk about all the drama and they curse somebody out and, and, and this and that and you're like, whoa, what happened to I will trust God and down here you're lamenting and you're cussing people out. What happened there? There's a problem. Hello, red flag, sirens going off, whoop. That's called a double-minded individual. you got to watch out for them because they will cause you some grief in your life. Or they might just be carnal Christians. You know what they need? They need your prayer. They need you to pray for them. This kind of purpose may not even, a person may not even be a Christian. But if they are, they shouldn't expect God's wisdom when they go through something because they're double-minded. They're unstable. I'm sure some of you, when I said unstable, somebody's name popped into your head, didn't it? Pray for that person. In the beginning, as we grow in grace, some of us may have been guilty of this. The key is to plant yourself in prayer. God's Word. And you know what what it really is about when you do that? Put what you find in God's Word into practice. That's the key. Put what you find in God's Word into practice. If the Bible says don't do a thing, then guess what? Don't do it. Well, pastor, it's hard. Hey, if it were easy, everybody would do it and wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. Now, would we? The Bible says don't do a thing, don't do it. If the Bible says to do a thing, then guess what? Do it. Did you know? I'm about to blow your mind. You ready for this? Did you know that it is impossible to please God but by faith? Mind blown. It's impossible to please God without faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Well, I asked God for wisdom and He didn't give it. How long have you been asking? Just the one time. Really? He said, seek me, you will find me. Knock, it will be open unto you. And then he said, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking. Hey, sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the grease, doesn't it? Sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So to be a double-minded man is to be one who doesn't please God. Now sometimes our prayers 
may be that of the father with the child who had a demon in him. We can find that in Mark, well, one of them in Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. He came to him, he said, Jesus, I need you to get this thing out of my son. And he said, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately, he didn't even stop. He didn't even think about it. The father said, immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears in his eyes, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know what? It is perfectly acceptable to ask Jesus to help you, to help you believe. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes you can look and you can find yourself wavering. And you start to get into that double-minded set right there. And you're like, oh, Lord, I don't want to be that person. And we don't want to be that person. We don't want to go through that. We don't, in the midst of a trial, the worst thing you can be is double-minded. Sometimes, though, you find yourself starting to waver. And in that time, may I advise you, cry out to God and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Did you know one of the spiritual gifts is the gift of faith? The gift of faith. God, if you're going to give me any spiritual gift during this time, I need the gift of faith so I can ask for wisdom. God, help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. When life falls apart, we must have endurance and faith in seeking God's Wisdom. When life falls apart, we must have endurance and faith in seeking God's wisdom. As the ladies come and sing, let me ask you a question. Where are you at in your journey of life right now? Some of you have had cancer. Some of you have lost loved ones in the past. Some of you are, are still in that valley and some of you are not. But let me say that our God is still invincible. Our God is still God. He is the one who made the mountain. He is the one who made the rivers and the valley. He is the one who spoke life into existence. He is the one who breathed life into man. And he knows all things, does all things, and can do whatever he wants to do. Just reach out and say, Lord, remove this mountain. But if you choose not to, walk with me through it. And he promises that he will. The God who walked on water. The God who sent the Holy Spirit himself to live inside of us. He is still God. And when he spoke of the Christian, he said, greater is the least of those in the kingdom than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the greatest prophet, Jesus said. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you if you are saved. First of all, you've got to ask yourself, are you sure? that you really are saved, you better make that assurance today. Secondly, have you found yourself wavering? Are you in or starting to go in to a point of turmoil, a point of problems, a point of trials? Endure it. 
with the power of God. And if you find you lack faith, ask God for the gift of faith and then ask for wisdom. As we stand and sing this morning, where are you today as we stand and sing? Search your heart. If you need Jesus, hey, I'm up here. I'll introduce you to him. If you want to join this church by letter, by statement, by baptism, come on up. We'll talk to you about it. Go ahead, ladies.